welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many love you some Jesus today? Amen. Amen. Um, So if you're a visitor, welcome. Uh, We call ourselves family. It's so good to have you guys part of uh, the Reliance family today. Um, If you're regular, it's always good to see you guys too. Um, I want to just kind of dive in today. Uh, We're going to hit a few different things, but the focus today is really on the word offense. Somebody say offense. Offense. Now, uh, I bet nobody in here has ever been offended, right? Like I, okay, we know that's a lie. That's not, it's not really even true. Some of us are offended that we had to wake up this morning, right? Some of us are offended that when you woke up this morning, your body aches and you're just like, Lord, why did you give me an achy body, right? We, we are and we live in one of the most offensive time periods of all time. I mean, all you have to do, click on social media of any sort, scroll down two things, I promise you'll be offended today, all right? Just the way it is, we're just, we live in a time right now where someone, something, or, or nothing is offensive to you, right? Not, like, you're offended because I'm telling you you're offended. Some of you guys are, you're like, I'm not offended. Oh, you're offended, all right? And, and I just, I, I don't know why it is, but we just, we're in this time period where offense is rampant. I was sharing with first service it wasn't too long ago, we were at a water park, one of those amusement parks in Oklahoma City with our family. And we get offended over the stupidest things. I remember it was one of these slides was really, really tall. And you know how like you have to be a certain height limit to, to go on the slide. And it says, if you're not that height, it's like danger, death, you know, all these things can happen. And I remember standing there and there was a mom and this little child in front of me and she walks her child up and she puts him up. There's a 16 year old boy holding the stick and he's like, oh man, like he's this tall and you have to be this tall. And she begins to berate him and rail on this 16 year old kid because he's saying, your son can't go on the water slide because you know, um, it could cause death, right? And she's like, it will not cause death. I think you're just trying to make sure that he doesn't get on there. And I'm like, ma'am, like he's short, right? I didn't say nothing because I was going to hold my kid up so he could go on it, right? (laughs) But the point is, is that she's berating this like 16 year old kid because he didn't make the height requirement, but like two feet. And so she is deeply offended, even though everybody else in line can go on it. She's deeply offended that her child cannot go on that ride. This is the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in that says, I'm offended just because I like to be offended. Amen, church? It is such a big deal that they've even coined a a term in these days. We live now in a culture that's called the cancel culture. The cancel culture. I'm just learning about this, by the way. I'm kind of behind times. So the cancel culture is basically if something offends me, what do we do? Just cancel it. And look, there's probably some good things that need to be canceled. I don't know. But we live in this time now that we've literally coined a terminology that if something is offensive to me, that we're going to live in a cancel culture. And my issue with that is simply this. I wonder how much of the world would like to cancel culture Jesus right now and his teachings right now and biblical principles right now. Because I'm gonna tell you, when you begin to read in the gospel the things that Jesus says, it doesn't always um, mold well with the world in which we live in. 
Sometimes there's a, a, a rub there. And so I think our goal as the church shouldn't be so much to live in this cancel culture, but should be to live in a counterculture, which is what Jesus taught us. Amen, church? And so last week, what I want to do is I want to kind of piggyback on what Pastor Ryan uh, uh, preached on last week. He did an awesome job, by the way, uh, talking about Jesus as our cornerstone. And I want to piggyback on that just a little bit. Ryan brought a word on Jesus being the cornerstone. And, and he talked about how aligning our life on the idea that Jesus is our cornerstone is that we're going to get everything. If he's our cornerstone, Jesus, everything in our life is going to align the way that God designed it to align. In fact, he used the definition of what a cornerstone is. And this was the definition. A cornerstone is the first stone that's set in construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this one stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. And if you missed his message, you should go back and listen to it really good. And what he said was, when Jesus becomes the cornerstone of our life, everything else in our life becomes a reference off of that one point, off of that one thing, which is Jesus. So determining where we live at, how we live, how we work things out in our life, and the position of our life is, is Jesus the cornerstone of my life. And if something feels off, we got to sometimes go back and say, did I build on a cornerstone of fear? Did I build on a cornerstone of pride? And if we built on a different cornerstone outside of Jesus, the whole foundation is going to be faulty. Amen, church? And so it's important to hear that word. And I'm going to tell you why it's important to hear that word of cornerstone. Because there's another word that the Bible uses to describe Jesus in relation to stones. That if we don't have set in our life him as the cornerstone, we have a tendency to view him in this other way. And the tendency that we have to view him is in a word that the scripture gives about Jesus that calls him a stumbling stone. Somebody say stumbling. So Jesus is referred to as a cornerstone to some and a stumbling stone to others. Now, this is where I think when you hear the stumbling stone, I want you to get the picture that when you read the word of God, that sometimes you read something that doesn't always settle well with your stomach, right? That sometimes when you're reading scripture, you're wrestling through some things. You're, you're wrestling through it. It doesn't always come easy just to be like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'll do that. Like there's times where there's a wrestling within you. And this is where scripture begins to talk about Jesus as the stumbling stone. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, Ryan used the first part of this verse on cornerstone. And I just want to piggyback on this. In a living stone... Jesus, this last week, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, men rejected him, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this church, for it stands in scripture, behold, God says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen? Yes and amen. When he's your cornerstone, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But then I want to take it a little bit further than we went last week in verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and, somebody say and, 
and he's given you two ways you're going to view Christ here and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what you're going to see here in this word, they're, they're, he's either going to be our cornerstone, and this is how we're going to view him, or at times, as many, when we're struggling and we're working through things, there's times where his words are going to be a stumbling, stumbling stone for us or a rock of offense. There's other scriptures. Romans 9.33 tells us the exact same thing. Paul says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, look what God says. I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Who put it there? God put him there. As a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So there's this choice that's being laid out before us. And I want you to hear me say this. God's not relishing the fact that people are going to trip and stumble. God's not sitting there relishing the fact that people are going to stumble over things. What he's trying to say in this moment is when you read scripture, there's going to be some things that war in your heart and don't always mesh with the way you wish things would be. There's going to be some things in your heart when you're reading the word of God, they're going to war against your flesh and you're going to go, man, I wish I could do this, even though the word of God says I should do this. And so he's saying it is there and it's going to trip some people up. Amen, church. And said, yet, in, despite that, he says, yet the promise is, if you receive him, if you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. So offense, the word offense in scripture is a big deal because we can be so offended that we don't grow in our faith and the opportunities that God's put before us. I want to say this to you. If you are challenged and offended right now by Jesus, if you're offended that Jesus didn't answer the prayer like you want, if you're offended that the word of God doesn't always mesh up with the way that the world wants you to think, if you're offended by those things, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to stunt your growth in Christ. Now listen, this is important. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is telling John, the disciple John, John the Baptist, uh, he's telling John the Baptist, who's in prison at this point in time, he's telling John the Baptist, he's sending word. He heard he was in prison. John's hearing about the ministry of Jesus. And he says this in verse two. Now, when John, John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Okay, listen to what Jesus said. Receive their sight. The lame will walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf will hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. But look what he says in verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not, what? Come on, say it. Offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is Jesus setting up a moment of telling John, look, you're going to see signs and wonders. You're going to see miracles. I'm going to blow your mind with some of the things that I do. And we do. We read through the gospel. We see Jesus move in powerful ways. And he's saying this. He's saying, and he's giving a kind of a pre-warning. But when you hear these words of mine, you're going to see cool things. People are going to want to follow me. But when you hear these words of mine, pre-warning, don't be offended. It's going to war against you a bit. It's going to stir your heart. It's going to make you think, man, this is the way the world does it. This isn't the way my friends are doing it. 
This isn't the way that culture teaches me to do it. It's going to war within your heart a bit. Let me just define for a minute. I heard a good teaching on this biblical offense. Let me define to you the word offense in biblical terms. So offense means stumbling stone. Okay, the definition actually comes from a Greek word for the word offense, which is called scandalon. Somebody say scandalon. 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 (laughs) It's where we get the word scandal from. It's the root word of where we get the word scandal from. In other words, there are times when something offends us. To us, it becomes scandalous in our own eyes. And when it becomes scandalous in our own eyes, it becomes a stumbling block for us. And so I want you to look at what scandal, a scandal on is. So I want you to think about uh, trapping animals. Anybody ever like put out animal traps? Nobody's confessing to it. Okay. Well, as kids, we grew up in small town. We didn't have a lot to do. Do you remember like when you set up a cardboard box and you put a stick up? You guys remember that? And you tied a string to it and you hung, there was always a rabbit we tried to catch in our neighborhood. And we tied a, a carrot to it and it was dangling off of the stick on the box. And we put a string and we went and we hid in the bushes. And then we would wait for the rabbit to come up. And once it grabbed that carrot, we would pull the stick and the box would close up on top of the bunny, right? Theoretically, never worked. Okay. So that stick that you dangle the carrot or the meat, whatever it is that you're trying to catch, that stick is a scandal on. You pull it and it drops the trap over the animal that you're trying to capture. This is the way that Satan tries to snare and trap us. Satan dangles an offense. I'm offended by that person. I'm offended by that thing. I'm offended by the, what Jesus said here. I'm off- Satan dangles an offense in front of us. And when we jump at that offense, he pulls the scandal and it falls over. We're trapped and our hearts become hardened. Amen, church. So the scandalon is what describes the offense in biblical terms. So Jesus is referred to in scripture as the rock of offense and a stumbling stone, meaning that there are times that you're going to read the word and it's going to war in your heart. And you're going to go, this is madness for what the rest of the world is trying to tell me to do. And yet he's saying, don't get ensnared by the fact that you want to go the way of the world when my word says the way of truth. Amen? Now, this, this, this is what I want you to get today, church. Jesus is either going to be a stone that you stumble over or he's going to be a rock that you build your life on as the cornerstone. And everything else will be aligned in that. He's either gonna be a rock that you stumble over or he's going to be the cornerstone in which you set your life on and align everything else in your line around him. I want you to hear this, and I want to say this the right way. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the gospel is meant to offend our worldly sensibilities. I'm going to say this again. The gospel is meant to It's meant to offend our worldly sensibilities, our fleshly sensibilities. What I mean by that is before I knew Christ, if somebody told me I needed to know Jesus, I was offended. (laughs) When I'm doing my own thing and living my own way and running my own path, when somebody says, you need Jesus, Aaron, I was offended by that. It was offending my fleshly, worldly sensibilities. It was offensive to me. And the gospel message is offensive to our worldly sensibilities. And Jesus is trying to say, I'm going to teach things that will offend your way of life, but don't be offended. (laughs) 
and you go, I want you to tell me the truth. And you know your spouse is going, is this a setup, right? Okay, I'm gonna tell you the truth. What you say is, I'm gonna tell you the truth, but don't get mad, right? I'm gonna tell you the truth, don't, don't get mad. And so he says in verse six, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the rub in our heart, in our culture today, where what we wanna do is we wanna hear the word of God and the parts that are offensive, the parts that rub, the parts that cut a little bit deep, we just like to avoid those, we'd like to steer clear of those, we'd like to change those, we'd like to try to rip those out of context and put them into something else. This is what we do, this is, we're, in a, we're in a cancel culture, just cancel that part. And so if the gospel was not meant to appeal to our worldly senses, it was meant to be countercultural. Ryan talked about the cornerstone, okay? And that Jesus, this, is, this is the way we're going. And that he's a stumbling block or a rock of offense to others. We're meant, the gospel's meant to be countercultural. It was meant to offend the worldly senses in you. Let me give you an example by this. The gospel says to love your enemies, right? To love your enemies, to love those who persecute you is what the gospel says. Love your enemies, love those who persecute you. Now, some of you guys are going, ah, yeah, that's, mm, that's tough. I've got enemies, I've got people that I don't like. But then just to throw an extra dose of salt on the wound, then the gospel says this, don't just love them, pray for their blessing. Yeah, not gonna happen, right? Anybody feel that way? Oh, you liars, put your hands up. Like that right there rubs me. Okay, I gotta love my enemies. I gotta pray for those who persecute me. I've gotta pray, pray blessing. It's like heaping coals on their head. All right, how about this one? Whatever's been given to you freely, you freely give, right? So now all of a sudden it's like this radical generosity. Well, the world has always taught me, go get, store, have, build, whatever. Build my you know, silo, my 401, whatever it is that I wanna build. That's what the world teaches me. Jesus says, no, as freely as it's been given to you, freely give. Or how about this one? If someone strikes you, turn the other. Oh, that was muffled, that was much better on this side. Turn the other, okay, better. I grew up with two brothers. This never happened in my household. There was no way that I was like, Ryan slaps me on one side. I'm like, no, no, Ryan, it's okay. Here, take the other side too. Like, I just beat him up, amen? Like, this is the way it was. I was a middle child, older one beat me up. It just went down the chain, I'm just saying. This, this is countercultural. If somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. That's not what the world says. Somebody strikes you, you strike back. If someone takes your tunic, scripture says, some says if somebody sues you for your tunic, it says, give him your cloak too. That's so countercultural. If somebody takes something from me, I'm gonna take it back. So all of a sudden we began to see the gospel and all the things that Jesus is teaching us and showing us warring in our heart. We see the same thing in John chapter six that's gonna line up with what Jesus told John the Baptist. He says this, so Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's just walked on water. I'm gonna say those are some high level things, amen? Like high level, feeding 5,000, few loaves and fishes, walking on water, like those are high level things. Jesus just done some amazing miracles. Crowds are following him by the thousands, right? Thousands of people are going, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm gonna follow him. He's fed us, he does some crazy amazing things. And then something happens. Jesus is done feeding them for a moment with food and now he's gonna feed them with his word. 
And in verse 41, it says, Jesus began to preach and it says, so the Jews grumbled about him. The guy that just walked on, I am the bread that came down, just fed 5,000. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus changes his language. He's like, look, I fed you with bread, but I don't want to do that anymore. You're following me because I, because I fed you. Now I want you to know that the true bread of heaven, and he's pointing at himself. And then he begins to say something that they're just not going to jive with in their spirit. He goes a little deeper, says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he's talking about himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All of a sudden they're going, whoa, hang on a second. You're saying we're supposed to eat of you. You're the bread of life. And now you're talking flesh. This is getting weird. Now listen. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now in this moment, Jesus still had them. And I just picture the disciples going, pastor, like you stop there. You're good, Jesus, you're done. Good message, it's a, it's a cliffhanger. Stop there, we've still got them. You've still got your crowds, but that's not the way that Jesus works, amen? He goes, oh, you think this is hard. Wait till I give you this next part. And in verse 53, Jesus sees that they're disputing and grumbling. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And he says something that even when I read it, I'm like, oh man, in that time, I don't know what, how I would have felt about this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. And if I was sitting there hearing that in that moment, I'd be like, is this vampire? Like, you know what I'm saying? We know it to be his crucifixion and resurrection that we can't come to the Father except through him. We know it's because he body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We know, but in that moment, they're wrestling with this thing. They've seen the miracles that he can do. They've seen what he, what he had, that he's fed them. They've seen these amazing things, but now his words are becoming difficult for them to hear. It was warring. They're stumbling on them. It was warring with their worldly, fleshly sensibilities. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Look what Jesus says in verse 61. But Jesus said, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Do you, do you take offense at this? Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Look what he's saying. Stop living in your fleshly world sensibilities. The flesh gives no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Stop thinking with the worldly point of view. You're not going to get it. I'm trying to get to your heart. I'm trying to get to your spirit. Now he goes on. And we get to see the end of this in verse 66. And he says, after this, many of his disciples, what? Turned back and no longer walked with him. Church, that word disciples, these are men and women who were following Jesus, who were locked in to what heart that are stirring. And all of a sudden he begins to say some things that are warring against their heart, that are stirring up some emotions that doesn't sound like it fits with culture, doesn't sound like it fits with what they can stomach. And all of a sudden, instead of kind of pressing in and going, Lord, I believe the word's truth, believe that what you have is truth. Instead, they go, you know what? This is not for me anymore. And they turn and they go the opposite 
opposite direction and it says they walk away. So Jesus turns to his 12 and he says to them, do you want to go with them as well? And Simon Peter, he doesn't always get it right in scripture, (laughs) but this time he did. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look, for, for some, Jesus was a stumbling block and a rock of offense and they turned back. For others, he was a cornerstone in which they would build their life upon because he was eternal life. Offense is a big deal, church, because it can cause us to stop going and growing. Offense is a big deal because it can, it, just, it can pause us, stop us, keep us from going and growing. These disciples turn back because of the offense in their heart. I think of the rich young ruler who approached Jesus. All these things I've done, Jesus, follow the Ten Commandments, all these things I've done, I followed all of the laws, what else must I do? Go sell your possessions, give the poor, come follow me. What does it say? He walked away sad, and I would say he walked away offended. This is my stuff. Demas, following Paul. Demas is on some, some journey with Paul, seeing all the things that Paul's doing. Paul writes in a letter, Demas has deserted me to chase after the things of the world. So we can't sit here and be like, oh, this is so far away from me, never gonna happen, never gonna happen. This is one of the things that Jesus has called in scripture, a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Let me just say this, the enemy loves to relish this too. He loves that scandal on where he can pull the trap out, cause you to be trapped in a fence and then walk away from Jesus. He loves it. A fence is such a big deal that in Matthew 24, chapter nine, as he's talking about kind of the end signs of times, translations speak it like this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Why are you gonna be hated? Why are you gonna be hated? For Jesus' namesake. And then many will be, somebody say offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Can I just tell you that the translation, so this is New King James, can I tell you the translation when it says many and many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another? Can I tell you that he's talking about believers? He's not saying it's a a, a believer versus an unbeliever issue. He's not saying it's a a Christian versus a a worldly thing. He's talking right here to believers that we're gonna pick up a fence with one another, that there's some gonna betray one another and will hate one another. Then he says, and false prophets will rise up, deceive many, and because of lawlessness that will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I know I've said this a thousand times, but for love to grow cold, it means you had to have love to begin with. So there's something that's happening that the gospel is going to begin to do when it's cutting deep in our hearts to say, which way are you going to go? Is it your cornerstone or is it a rock of offense? Is he it, your foundation? Are you stumbling on what he's saying every single day? Do you believe him? Is he the truth of your life? Or do you kind of pick and choose what you like, parcel out what you don't like? Is it a buffet? He says, many will be offended in that day because at the end of the day, they're gonna be offended in trying to handle who Jesus is, the true revelation of who Jesus is. And we, I don't know how many times we've preached about this. I, this, this one right here is one of my favorite ones, scriptures that Paul says in Philippians 3, 18. 
He says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I know I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand times more. He, he's telling us that many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. The way that we're living as enemies is of the way of Jesus. It's not necessarily Jesus. I think at the end of the day, if somebody had to choose and they're like, okay, so you're saying Jesus is eternal life and without him that I'm spending time down here, okay? So I think most people are like, yeah, I'll take Jesus. It, that's, that's a pretty easy one, I'll, I'll take Jesus. That's not how we're living as enemies according to what Paul tells us in Philippians. We're living as enemies of the cross of Christ, the way of Jesus. How we're growing, how we're moving, how we're getting to him. We're, we're living as enemies. We're trying to reshape, taught us to live. And so what we really are doing is we're trying to reshape him. We're trying to reimagine him into a way in which fits culture, fits me, fits the way that I can live my life, the way that I want to live my life, but yet still hopefully saves me from hell. Amen? And so... Paul writes about this in Romans 1. And he says this, first of all, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. But then he says this in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking, I want you to hear these words, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made to look like mortal beings, birds, animals, reptiles. That word exchange, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They traded the glory of God for something that would fit them. Listen to this, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged, they traded the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Look at verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, on and on and on and on and on. You can read it. I really wish today that I would have preached on Cornerstone and Ryan had to read that one. Amen? Because honestly, when I began to read that, it began to cut deep to the heart. It's not, it's, it's, I get it, it's not super soft, it's not super gentle, but again, he literally tells us the gospel message is gonna come across at times as offensive, don't be offended. And I think that Christians in the first century would, would have the same thing that we're going through in some ways where they were scrutinized because they didn't always conform to the patterns of this world. Romans 12, right? Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your hearts. There was something in this thing that Jesus is trying to show us where we can't be showing indifference to things either. Like I'm just, I don't, it's whatever. Just kind of indifferent to it. Just whatever, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, just kind of indifferent to it. That there was something about these men and women that lived this countercultural lifestyle. They believed what the word said, even though they had to wrestle with it. It says the word of God is like a double-edged sword that when it goes in, it's cutting both top and bottom, joint and marrow. Amen? Like it's meant to come in and it's meant to change something within us. So, 
The challenge then for you is this. One, have you been offended by the word of the Lord? Have you been offended when God didn't answer the prayer like you wanted it answered? Have you been offended when you knew a truth of what God had you in, but you've kind of tabled that, shelved it, changed that because of the scrutiny maybe that the world would bring down on you? Have you developed a seed of offense to where even though you maybe even love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that in some ways, man, the gospel is a bit of a stumbling block, so I'm just gonna leave that part out. Paul to Timothy. Paul to Timothy says this, I charge you in front of God. Meaning if God was right here as your witness, and he is, Paul says, I charge you in front of God. And he uses three words. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Church, we love to encourage you. We, we love it. I love encouragement, amen? But there are seasons in our life where the word comes in and begins to correct some wrong thinking. And then there are seasons in my life, and I'm just gonna confess my own life, where God has to come and just rebuke something that I know not to be of him, but I'm living it out anyways. And he loves you, he sang it, he's for you, and his word transforms you. And I just think in the culture that we live in today, if we came with the word of God believing that it's this that does the work, and we're like, man, this is what the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. If like if we believed that, and we're like, man, this is what the Word says. I'm not gonna pick and choose. I'm gonna live by this. I'm gonna live in this. I'm gonna go by this. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move my standard a little bit over here. I'm not gonna move the line. I'm gonna say, this is Jesus. This is it. And what He gives, life, eternal life, hope, peace, joy, love, patience, whatever. This is Him. I'm not gonna move it a little bit. I'm not gonna try to, this is it. So I just wanna challenge, if, you, if that's offended you in any way, if, that, if he's a stumbling block in any way, just let the Lord have your heart this morning. If you know somebody who has stumbled on the stone of offense, the rock of offense, Jesus, in any way, let's pray that that hardness of heart is broken down by the love of the Father, amen? I just want to pray over you guys today. So Father, thank you for this day today. And yes, Jesus, you are the cornerstone of our life. You are, you're the cornerstone of our life in which we align everything in our life on. But in the same token, it says warning, warning, warning. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so God, in the same way that you're the cornerstone, you are also a stumbling stone or a rock of offense that some can get tripped up on. And Lord, according to what you say in Matthew 24 and John 6, those that walked away, there are times in our life we're gonna read something, it's gonna challenge us to the core, and we cannot receive it through fleshly means, worldly means. We have to receive it with the Spirit and trust that it's right. So I pray for the church today. I pray that the church would rise up, know the love of a Father, know that you have just redeemed us, sanctified us, transformed us through your love, through your power, and that we would know your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We got to stand. We're going to close out with this last song.
Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.